as well, all of our live stream audience, we're very honored to have you as well. And we would love for all of you to share the stream, encourage someone, subscribe to our YouTube channel, make it happen, use social media for the gospel, use the movement of the culture, use it as traction and not as friction. A lot of times believers think that social media and they get irritated and agitated by the social media. So rather than getting irritated and agitated by it, use it for something good. Turn friction into traction. So we're doing um, the Gospel of John, and so we're going to finish up John chapter 7 today. And uh, I'm going to read it for you, and then we're going to go through it and break it down. So on the last day, John chapter 7, verse 37, if you're looking for where I'm at, on the last day of the festival or of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of, their out, of, out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water, or from within them, or from through or through them will flow rivers of living water. By this he meant, this he spoke of by the Holy Spirit, whom, whom those who believed were later to receive. For up until this point, the Holy Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. Phoenix, would you bring me a water? Since you're just perusing through my eyesight right there. Phoenix rising. Still others ask, how can this be the Messiah? So some said, oh, thank you so much. All right. So some said, this is the Messiah. Others said, surely this is the prophet. Still others said, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's descendants and from Bethlehem and the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus, right? We think Jesus is the great reconciler. He, he, he divides, man. He, people are divided over opinions of him. Thus, the people were divided over, over, over Jesus. Some wanted to seize him and arrest him, but none laid hands on them. Finally, the temple guards who were sent to arrest him returned to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees asked him, why didn't you bring him in? And they looked at him and said, nobody talks like this guy. The guards replied, and they said, are you deceived also? Have any of us or any of the rulers believed in him? No, but this mob, this know-nothing mob, they believe in him. How'd you like to have that as your spiritual leader? You know-nothing mob, you know? <laughs> then Nicodemus says, uh, who had come to Jesus earlier, says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? And they replied, are you also from Galilee, Nicodemus? Look into it. And you will find that no prophet comes from Galilee. And so this is the scene. So let me set the scene for like this dramatic, this is like an epic moment that's going on here. And it's very understated in the scripture unless you kind of have the historical context of what's going on in this, in this time. So when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, right, type and shadow of coming out of sin, right, that's a mirror of God's delivering in the physical what he will do in the, in the spiritual at a point in the future. When he brought them out of Egypt, he gave to them seven, count them, seven parties, right? Anybody like epic parties? So Jesus likes to party. That's hard for us to imagine, but Jesus likes to party. He sold, but he wants to party with you. You understand that? So it's a celebration. It's a celebration of joy. He gave them seven feasts and seven festivals, and they were to keep them in a yearly cycle. And so at these feasts, the Bible, he uses the two Hebrew words for them, is their appointments, mikra and moed, 
right? So they're a rehearsal. They're supposed to do something at the feast. Everybody had to do something because Christianity is not a spectator sport. You're supposed to be involved. You're supposed to be a part of it, right? And so he gave them the word moed, which means appointment, and he gave them the word mikra, which is a rehearsal. And so he said, every year you're to have this festival, and that is an appointment. And on that day, I will meet with you. And on that day, you will remember. And on that day, I will do something significant related to that day in the future. I make an appointment with you. And in order for you to understand this, and in order for you to remember this, and in order for you to see the significance of what I'm going to do on this day, I'm going to give you some things, and you're going to rehearse them. And you're going to do these year in, year out, generation by generation. So every feast had inbuilt into it these different, I don't want to call them rituals, but they were rehearsals. One of the easiest ones for most of us to understand is Passover. So Passover, they came out of Egypt by the blood of the lamb. So the story, I'm not going to build that story, but the idea of Passover was they gave, God gave them a feast of Passover. <laughs> I start getting all this things I want to say on Passover, but I'm not going to. And so God gave them a feast of Passover, and he told them every family is to take a lamb, right? So here's how it looks. Anybody got small kids? Anybody here, right? Anybody got small kids who like animals? All right, so try this one on. Every family, you could be single, didn't matter, but every person or every family was to take a lamb. The feast of Passover was to go on for, it went on for a week, but they, they would arrive early, but they were to take this lamb, they were to keep it in the house at least three days. So you'd bring in Larry the lamb. You got to, you know, your family's around, the kids, the grandkids, everybody's, oh, Larry, you're so cute, you're so cute, Larry, woo, we love you, Larry. Petting Larry the lamb, feeding Larry the lamb carrots and lettuce. Oh, good daddy, can we keep him, can we keep him? And dad's like, yeah, for about three days we can keep him, but that's about it. So at the end of the time, the appointed time, the family was to bond to the lamb. At the end of this time, they were to take the lamb. The father was to take the lamb to the temple mount, present the lamb to the priest, and the whole family, ready, was to watch the priest slay the lamb. Yeah, all your kids had to stand there and watch the priest slay the lamb. And the father was to explain to the children that this is for our sin, and for our separation, someone must die. For our sin and for our separation, someone must pay the price. And so this understanding was embedded into them that it was through the blood of the atoning lamb that we were delivered from Egypt. It is through the blood of the atoning lamb that we will be delivered in the future. And you see John, uh, John the Baptist, right? Again, a son of a priest, prophet, but he was a son of a priest. And you see John the Baptist, as soon as he sees Jesus, he said, behold the what? Yeah, who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Not sins, sin, singular, which is another story for another day. But he, took away the, he takes away the sin of the world. And so they understood the language of the Lamb of God. They understood the significance of the Lamb of God past. They understood the significance of the Lamb of God present. And they understood the significance of the Lamb of God future. And so the whole family would have to watch this, and it would be embedded in them. If you're a child, you're about five years old, you watch that lamb, they take that lamb, they bind it, they hang it upside down, and they pierce its neck with a flint knife. So it's called a kosher kill. So they, the lamb would be upside down, just kind of hanging there, you know. And then they take a knife, the flint knife, they put a bowl underneath it, and they take a flint knife, and they just would pierce the jugular, and the lamb would slowly bleed out. So the lamb wasn't killed in a brutal way, 
wasn't traumatizing, the lamb would just essentially go to sleep, right? It was a kosher kill. That's how they would do it. And, but, the, but the family would have to watch, and then they would have to watch the, the, the priest present the blood on the altar, and all of these different things would go on. Then the priest would cut the lamb up, and they'd go home, and they'd have lamb chops later that night. And so the whole family would be gathered around, and they'd be eating Larry the lamb, right? They'd have to consume the lamb. They'd have to take the lamb into them, right? The lamb had to become a part of them. Right? So they would, have the, they would have the meal, and at the meal, they would have a Seder. And a Seder is basically a meal with a story. And so they would be eating the meal, and in the meal, there would be a story. They would be telling the story around these different parts of the Seder. And so it was, it was, it was to enforce into them remembrance. You know, we remember, we learn through hearing, we learn through seeing, and we learn through doing, don't we? Right? And some of them, and that, that included all of them. I saw that lamb get killed. I'll never forget that. You know, and they would have to do it at week, year in and year out. Then on one significant Passover, Jesus was crucified. He wasn't crucified on Easter. I know this blows away. Jesus didn't die on Easter. No, he died on Passover. Right? So long story there. I shouldn't even open up that can of worms. But nonetheless, he was crucified on Passover. He fulfilled Passover to the day. So he fulfilled that feast. And so of these seven feasts that God gave, four of them have been fulfilled. The Lord has fulfilled four of them, including Passover. There's three that, aren't, that have not been fulfilled. One of those three is the Feast of Tabernacles. So the, the, fe the feast that haven't been fulfilled is the Feast of Trumpets, which is the blowing of the shofar. Ooh. Thessalonians, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. You don't think Jesus is going to shout? He's going to shout. Right? Jesus says, oh, just Tim and Jesus. No, he's going to come and he's going to rip the sky and he's going to shout. <sighs> yeah, that's right. Come on. <laughs> you want me to really sell it? <laughs> Bible says the lightning will flash from the east and the west. You know what he's going to do? He's going to tear the veil of time. Poof, and gamma light is going to go poof. Because he will rip time itself. And the eternal one will step into time and he will shout. And the angel will blow the shofar, and the dead in Christ will rise, right? The bodies of those who were departed that are of the Lord will come, and then those who are alive and remain. The Feast of Trumpets, the ingathering, we're waiting on it, right? Then the following, that is the Day of Atonement. It's the reconciliation for the sins of Israel. Israel rejected their Messiah, the Lord will give them another opportunity to repent. Zechariah says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for one who has lost a son. That's what he said. He's going to give him another shot. You know, he's going to give you another shot. It's like, okay, you guys rejected me. How about now? How about now, right? And the Bible says that they, they still will reject him. You know, unfathomably, if that's possible, they still will. Not all, but some will, but most will. And then lastly is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is this feast. And so that, that's Revelation 21. The tabernacle of God will be with men. The Lord will come in glory. He will establish a kingdom upon the earth. He will establish his throne upon the earth. He will, we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. It's called the millennial reign. If you're not familiar with that. You're not, you're not going to be just strumming on a harp floating on a cloud. What you do in this life for him will echo in that eternal world. You will be given positions, you will be given authority, you will be given rulership according to the stewardship that you practiced in this life towards him. Everybody's get something. You're all going to have peace. You're all going to get your little... The Bible says everybody gets a fig tree. 
You know, everybody gets something, but there are levels of reward. That's a fact. That's an absolute fact. We don't, we're all rewarded equally, but we're endowed with greater things based upon that which we have done for him. Another story, another day. But so what are you doing? Collecting shells? You know what I'm saying? Do something for Jesus, man. Give a cup of cold water. If, I don't know, Elliot's here. He gives me water every week because he wants to make sure he gets that reward. You know, the Bible says give a prophet, a, give a prophet water and you'll be rewarded. He's like, I've I got to get it every week. I need to give you the water. So Phoenix, you missed out, man. You missed out. What's going on? I'm just joking. I'm totally joking. I'm totally joking. So there's, a, there's rewards. And so th what's happening here, this is the Feast of Tabernacle. It's pointing to a future day, but it's also pointing to a past day. The past day was when God brought Israel out of Egypt, and they were with him in the wilderness for 40 years, living in tents. And the Lord dwelt or tabernacled among them, and they lived in tents. And so this is to remember the time of when God was faithful to his people. He's faithful in season, and he's faithful out. You understand that? They were to remember that while we were wandering in our own stupidity, they were wandering because they wouldn't listen to the Lord, so they played Here We Go Round the Mountain for 40 years because they wouldn't listen. If you're playing Here We Go Round the Mountain and your life is just one repetitive cycle, it might be time to start to listen to Jesus because that's what happened to these people. They played Here We Go Round the Mountain for 40 years until the generation that disavowed the Lord dropped dead and another generation emerged, but they lived in tents. And they, this Feast of Tabernacles is to remember the time that they lived in tents and that they dwelt with the Lord. And so this is like a national camping trip. The way they celebrated this, this feast, they were all to come to Jerusalem and they were all to build booths. They were to build a hut. And they were to build it a certain way and they were to do certain things. So it was like national camping trip. It's the only day where they got, it's the only feast where God said, no sorrow, no complaining. Say it with me. No sorrow, no complaining. Right? They were to celebrate and they were to share with one another. And that's Revelation again, 21. The tabernacle of God is with men. Behold, there is no more death. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. That's, the, that's exactly the mirror of what he is going to do. And so what they would do is they would come to Jerusalem and, and they would build these huts out of specific trees. And it's based on Leviticus 23.40. It says, Now on the first day of the feast, this is Leviticus, on the first day of the feast, God is commanding them that you shall take for yourselves foliage from the beautiful trees. Jesus is like, don't bring me any shot-out branches, right? I don't, want, I don't want any dead wood around me, you know. Jesus is worthy. He said, bring me the beautiful trees. If it's beautiful, give it to Jesus, you know. Give me the beautiful trees, the palm branches, the boughs of the, of the leafy trees, the willows by the brook, and you shall celebrate before the Lord for seven days. So they were to build these booths out of these, out of these um, branches. Let's throw the lulav up there, Alex, if you got it. This, um, so it's basically, it's called the four species. When the temple was destroyed, the rabbis were trying to keep the tradition together. And so every year at the Feast of Tabernacles, if you go on Miami Beach, you'll see Jews walking around carrying these, the, the Hasidics. They're, it's called the lulav. And it was the four species that they created their booths out of. And so they bind them together. And there's four species. Say it with me. The myrtle, the willow, the, palm, the date palm, and the citrus. And these species were to represent God's people. Some of them had fragrance, and some of them had fruit. Some of them had fragrance and fruit. Some of them didn't have any fragrance and didn't have any fruit. So it's prophetic. So the, so the, uh, the willow has no fragrance and no fruit. The myrtle has fragrance, but no fruit. The date palm has fruit, but no fragrance. 
The citrus tree has fragrance and fruit, and it represents knowledge and deeds, right? That's what it represents. We are to have knowledge, and we are to have deeds. You understand? That's the whole idea of Jesus said, here in my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit, right? That you be like the citrus tree. It's, these are references to the, to, the, to the language that they would have known, right? The vine, the branches, all these different things. They would have known all of these different things. And so this is what it's representing. And there are, pe there are people among God's people that don't have any knowledge and don't have any fruit. There are people among God's people that have knowledge but no fruit. There are people among God's people that have knowledge but have no fruit. And then there are the people that have the knowledge, the understanding, the wisdom, the lifestyle, if you will, and the fruit. And so this is, this is basically an image of what was going on. So during the time of the temple, the people, every day for seven days, there would the altar, every day for seven days, thousands of people would gather, and everybody would bring a bow. You would bring a bow from one of these trees. So thousands of people would come to the temple mount and would stand around the altar, all of them holding bows and making like a covering over the altar. Right? They would do this for seven days. And as they gathered on the Temple Mount for seven days, they would sing the Hallels or the songs of Jerusalem. And the Hallels are Psalm 113 through 118. And so they would, it's this beautiful moment. Every, they, all the people would gather, they would put their boughs over the alt, over the over the offer um, the altar, and the whole crowd would sing. The priests would lead them. They sang in the round, right? They would sing in the round. The priests would say something, then the people would say something, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the people would go, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. So they would respond to what the priest would sing, right? Who is this king of glory? And the people would say, the Lord mighty in battle. You know, they, was, they would sing in the round. Can you imagine thousands of people? You're there. You talk about eating to the beat. You're swaying to the beat. You know what I'm saying? It's just beautiful picture. This went on for seven days. On the seventh day of the feast, which is the, epic, the apex of the feast, this is where Jesus is. So Jesus is in this feast. He's in this festival. This is what's going on for seven days. On the seventh day was the epic day. All of the people would gather, as they had done before, and they would take their boughs, and they would walk seven times around the altar. What does that represent? Anybody? Jericho. He brought them out, and he brought them in. Hmm? So it was a memorial, memorial that the Lord does not just bring us out. He brings us in. It was a memorial of their breakthrough, right? So they're walking around the altar seven times, and they're singing. So it would be, you know, just thousands of people circling the altar and singing. The priest, the high priest, would go to the pool of Siloam, which is the healing pool, right? They, the priest would go down to the healing pool, fill a jar of water from the pool of Siloam. He would climb up on a deck and there would be a, a, a funnel that would go up high that would lead down to the altar. So it's, the priest would pour the water down the funnel onto the altar. The funnel was made of silver. It's all prophetic, people. Silver is righteousness. The water came down from heaven. And how many times did Jesus reference, I came down, I came down, I came down. And so as the priest is pouring the water down the altar and the altar flows over, the people were all to recite this verse. They were to recite Isaiah chapter 12. And they would recite it in unison. Surely God is my salvation. So the water's pouring and the people begin to speak the, 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 the words of the prophet. I will trust and I will not be afraid. 
It is the Lord, the Lord himself. He is my strength. He is my defense. Declarative. There you are. He has become my salvation. Another declaration. With joy, we draw water from the wells of your salvation. So there's the water connection, right? In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make his name known among the nations. So there's all nations were gathered in this place. And proclaim his name, for he is exalted. Everybody say it with me. Sing to the Lord. There you go. I'm going to help you out. For he has done glorious things. Let it be known in all the world. Everybody say this with me. Shout to the Lord. Yeah, uh-huh. Shout aloud and sing for joy, you people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among us. It's at this moment. Jesus steps up and he gives his own halal. You know what a halal is? It's a shout. Jesus goes, Ho! If anyone thirsts, come to me. If anyone believes in me, I will give you the river of living water. You say, that's pretty startling. That's the point. It's the word ekrazen. He shouted above them. He cried out with a halal, right? A halal is ha. It's high praise. A halal is a shout. You guys want to help? You want to help me? No? Anybody? I get the kids out here. They'll do it. Juan, I don't know where Juan is. I had his son out here, and I go, you want to, and he's like, because he talks loud sometimes, and everybody's trying to tell him to be quiet. I go, come here, you're going to do a halal. I said, you can shout as loud as you want. He's like, as loud as I want? I'm like, as loud as you want. Come on, help me out. But we're going to go, ho, oh, right? Ready? One, two, three. Ho! Oh! Exactly. Blow that enemy back. Rip the heavens. Let God be glorified. Jesus does it. He shouts. He got their attention. They're all like, and he's like, I am the fountain of living water. I am the one that this is speaking of. This is what he's saying. And, his, and so he had their attention, and they're all like, whoa, what's going on here? He said, if you're thirsty, come. What he said? He says three things. First one, are you thirsty? What does it mean to be thirsty? It means to be aware of your emptiness and your lack within means you're longing for deliverance. You're longing for hope. You're longing for forgiveness and for freedom. Everything the Lord does has two facets to it. This statement has two facets to it. It relates to the unbeliever. The unbeliever absolutely is lost. The unbeliever is longing for deliverance, hope, life, and forgiveness and freedom. Right? You have to be thirsty. All of you entered the kingdom. And when you understand when you gave, when did you give your life to Jesus? When you were thirsty. When you were sick and tired of being sick and tired, when you knew there was no hope anywhere else, right? When you knew that everything you did wasn't good enough and it kept producing dysfunction. This is also available to the Christian. It's an ongoing promise. Say it with me. It's an ongoing promise. Do you long for hope? You have the fountain of living water living within you. Do you long for deliverance, for freedom, for forgiveness? All of these things are found within the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening, what, what Jesus is talking about, this is an ongoing promise. When you come to Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Most of you, you put him in a closet downstairs, out of the way, right? Stay there. Don't interfere with my life. If I need you, I'll help you. What he has given to us for is immersiveness. That's what he's given to us for. He's given to you to immerse you. He's given to you to be a river in your life that produces 
that when you lack, and you lack every single day, so let me just help you out with that. There's not a day in your life where you're not lacking. When you lack, you go to the river and you draw water. You draw the water of hope. You draw the water of freedom. You draw the water of forgiveness. You draw the water of power. It's always in the Spirit. Christianity without the Holy Spirit is nothing at all, truthfully. We, we need to value, we need to treasure, we need to understand the Holy Spirit. He'd say when the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an essence. He's not a thing. He's a person. Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will come. But when the Holy Spirit comes, so first of all, Jesus says, all that the Father has is mine. Right? So he's resurrected, and he said, everything that I have, the, everything the Father has, he's given to me. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, is going to take from what is mine and manifest it to you. You understand that? So what is it that Jesus has? All that's of the Father, right? He came as us in order to win for us all that was of the Father, right? As our, that's how this works. And that the only way that everything Jesus has or the only way this kingdom manifests is through the Holy Spirit. You will not bring forth the, whole, the, the kingdom through uh, verses, through, you know, can, all those things are necessary, but the active presence and power of the Holy Spirit is what brings forth the kingdom. The Holy Spirit takes from what is mine. He didn't say, you will take from what is mine. You'd have to do it, but the Holy Spirit will give it to you because it's yours, but you have to partner with the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't know what I'm doing. Good luck. You know, and, I'm, and so I would say to that, I would say, you need to say with me, practice the presence. We are worshipers where? In what? Spirit and truth. This the Father seeks. Is this not what he said? What kind of worshipers is Jesus looking for? Is the Father looking for? Doctrine? No. Doctrine's important. Theology? No. Theology's important. These things are important. But that is not the main element. It's spirit. Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's not spirit without the word or the word without the spirit. It's both. But you have to have the spirit. You have to. And so it's, we need to worship in spirit and truth. And so this, this is how this works. You have to learn to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit daily, if necessary, at least weekly. That's why it's important to come to church, because some of you don't practice the, whole, practice the presence at all during the week. So at least you're getting one day in, okay? Right? That's important. But you need to practice this presence all the time. You need to become a worshiper. You need to learn. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. Selfish desire is what it's talking about. When you're in the spirit, you're a different person. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Right? I say it like this. I like me when I'm in the spirit. Right? When I'm not in the spirit, I don't like myself too much. You know what I'm saying? I don't like, you know, my attitude. Sometimes I don't like my decision making. But when I'm in the spirit, I'm like, wow. It is great. And you know what else, else happens when I'm in the spirit? I like everybody else. I don't want to hit anybody with my car. That's amazing. <laughs> so you're in the spirit and you become another person. The true you of who you are eternally is in the spirit. When you're out of the spirit, that's the old you. That's the old you. You can make the old you religious, but the old you is still going to be dysfunctional. Right? You get in the spirit and you're like, whoa. You know, I'm a different person. I'm a genius. 
Yeah, you start thinking you're a genius. That's one of the things that happens because you have the mind of Christ. You start getting these insights, these revelations, these understanding. You start talking to people and you're giving them counsel and you're like, man, give me a pen. I need to write that down. And then you start walking around like, I've got so much counsel. Then the next day you're not in the spirit and you're like, what did I say? What did I say? I can't even remember what I said. In the spirit. We're to live in and from the spirit. So we have to learn to practice the presence. It comes through honor, A. It comes through worship, B. Right? It comes through yieldedness and submission. It's a constant, consistent communion with the presence and the person of Jesus and the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's all honor. It's how it is. And you get in the Spirit and you yield to Him. And you let Him do His thing. Lord, I give you my day. Guide me this day. You can access wisdom in the Spirit. You can access power in the Spirit. You can access strength in the Spirit. You can access peace and shalom, overflowing blessing. Some of you don't know what to do. Get in the Spirit, man. Let the Lord counsel you. Get out of your fear. Get out of your struggle. Get out of all the machinations of life that you create. Here's why people don't like going in the Spirit. Most Christians don't. Or they don't really understand the dimension of what the Holy Spirit actually is and what he brings. So here's what we do. This is what we think. So we have two extremes. So I'm going to take you to the two extremes, and I'm going to try to show you the balance in the middle. First extreme is people, when they get in the Spirit, they're just like, Woo! Oh! Or some version of that, right? It's like a circus, you know? Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus, you know? Whoa! And everybody's just whipped around. And, and that's, that's their consistent and constant experience in the spirit. Every time, they get, every time they try to activate the anointing or something, they start getting out. They start weirding out. I'm all in on, I'm all in on connection and, you know, and, and grooving with the groove. You know, I'm all in on that. But you need to learn, say with me, hold the anointing. Uh-huh. I come from a church that was very powerful in the spirit. And they would grab me. Stand up right here. I'm going to grab you. You helped me out last week. Now you're going to help me out. Now I'm really going to give it to you, right? So they would do this. You'd be like, people would be being prayed for, and the pastor would go like this. Hold the anointing. And he'd move right down the line. If you can't learn, thank you. If you can't learn to hold the anointing, you will never move in the anointing. You'll never move in the anointing if you can't move, learn to move in the if you can't learn to hold it. Open up and learn. You know, I have power resonating in me many times, and I'm not like, oh, 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 And I have power going. I have radiating, resonating power flowing through me, and I'm not tripping. Do you know why? Because I was taught to hold the anointing. Because I cannot minister the anointing if I don't know how to hold it. You understand that? The spirit of the prophet is what? Subject to the prophet. In other words, I can hold the anointing. You got me? And that's how you accelerate in power. And that's how you grow in power. And you begin to do that. And I just begin to radiate in power. And I begin to push, 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 push. More, Lord, more. We weird out and we want to go into a chance for five days. That's one, ex that's one extreme. And everybody likes, ooh, you know. And I'm not trying to critique it. But what I am saying is if you have that encounter and it's at the level that you say you're experiencing, you better get up and change the world. Right? So we need to learn the anointing. And so a lot of Christians shy away from that because they see other people that are tripping. Oh, and they're like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. No, 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 no. Right? They start tripping. 
You can have the anointing. I don't mind. I'm in tripping environments all the time. I don't have a problem with it. You know, people are tripping. That's, that's where they're at. That's not where I'm at. I don't come from that flow. I don't come from that river, right? I want to manifest power. I don't want to just experience it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to manifest it. I want to see the kingdom come forth. That's one camp. That's one camp that's extreme. The other camp that's extreme is they don't want anything to do with it. They want nothing to do with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They want nothing to do with it at all. I'm probably going to go long, so I'm sorry. Do I apologize in the service? Do you all want me to apologize? No? Okay. All right. I don't want to go long, but I'm already on, I'm already on my track to go long. I can tell. I did not go long in first service, so I did not. So anyway, so let me, let me, let me I'll skip some stuff. I'll skip forward. So, but I, I, want, I, want, I think it's necessary for you guys to get this. I didn't share this either. So the other camp wants nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. They keep it all in rationality, rational. Decency and in order is the rule of the day. Decency and in order. Everything must be done decency and decency and in order. I'm all in on that. I'm all in. I get it. I understand that. That's why I'm even talking about time, decency and in order. But the point is, is that the Holy Spirit is not, he, he does not, he will not operate uh, with human confinement you understand like you have to yield to him and when you learn to yield to him you start moving prophetically you start moving with vision you start moving with insight you start moving with power you start moving with strength you have a confidence that you didn't have before because it's coming from the holy spirit right he's not moving he's not operating with your faculties you're accessing his and you access him and these things begin to move in you and that's why practicing the presence is necessary because it teaches you how to move with the spirit, right? Does that make sense? And so a lot of people don't like, and so here's another thing, right? This is, again, this is the Holy Spirit who is your inheritance. He's the gift. Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go. In other words, I'm paying my blood to send you the Holy Spirit. And we treat him like, whoop, right over our head. We give him no, little to no honor. And we treat him like he's, like, like he's a ringmaster at a circus. Neither one of those is right. Neither one of those. You say, well, why does it go on? It, it goes on, but you know what it does? It produces no fruit. Do you understand that? Oh, there's lots of action. There's lots of noise. There's lots of things going on over here. Over here, everything's decently and in order, but there's no fruit, no fruit. No fruit, no fruit. I don't want to say anymore because I'll get myself in trouble. However, I will say this. When you, when you enter in the spirit, it's, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different zone. So in the spirit world, that's why people a lot of times, they, they, they start to feel the presence and the power of the spirit, and they feel the disorientation. It feels disorienting because it is disorienting. The realm is disorienting. You're in another realm. You understand? You're moving out of the natural and into the supernatural, so you feel disoriented. You feel a little bit like, whoa, what's going on? You know, it, it feels like that. You have to learn to acclimate to that atmosphere. And that's why what happens is people begin to move, or they'll begin to get in the spirit, and they'll begin to move with the spirit, and they'll feel that, you know, that disorientation, and they pull away. Or they, better yet, straddle the line, half in, half out, half in, half out, half in, half out, right? So it's like that. You have to learn that atmosphere. It's like the same thing. It would be like diving in the bottom of the sea. You have to compress and you have to decompress, and you have to learn the atmosphere. You're in a realm. This is another thing that happens, especially when you're moving with God, and God's trying to take you to a higher level. A lot of Christians can't go to higher levels either because they don't understand when God's moving you to a higher level, you get dizzy. 
Huh? God's calling you to something that's beyond your capacity, and you step into it and you feel dizzy. Do you know why? Because you're entering another realm. You're entering another atmosphere of existence. And we don't like to feel uncomfortable. We don't like to feel disoriented. And what ends up happening is you have to learn. Like I go there and I feel that disorientation and I just, I just do that. I just let it be, you know. And there's other things beyond that. But you, what, I guess my only point I was trying to make is don't push away because you feel disoriented. You understand? The Holy Spirit is not loop-de-loo. You know, people can react different ways, and people react different ways to power, and, I, and that's totally fine. You know, I'm not judging that, but what I am saying is that it's not all like that, if you get what I'm trying to say. So the, 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 probably the push is more, the push to the person that's over here is to mature and grow up, learn to hold the anointing, learn to receive and move in power, right, and receive fully. Learn and learn to not just be someone who's impacted or experiences the Holy Spirit, but learn to someone who learns to grow in, in the Holy Spirit and learns to become a steward of that realm. That's the voice. The voice over here is don't be averse to the Holy Spirit just because you see craziness and chaos. You know, I've been in both camps, so I can speak to this. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm, a, I'm familiar with both of them, so I'm not, you know... <laughs> And I know, and I've experienced this, and I've experienced this, and I know what's right here, right? I know in the spirit. I know holding the anointing. I know the power, you know, because the anointing is given to you to be witnesses. You're, the, more, the anointing is given to you to, be, to do something. The anointing is an equipping power to do something, not just experience God and roll around on a carpet for four days. And that's good from time to time. You know what I'm saying? You want to lay out, you know, good once or twice a year, you know, experience the Holy Spirit and just roll around and laugh on the, Holy, on the floor. You know, for three or four days, okay, whatever, cool. You know, let the joy of the Lord be, be your strength, you know, to go for it. But you can't live there. You know what I mean? You want to have a party with Jesus? Go for it. You know? But get up and do something. So he says, he says drink, are you thirsty? So Christian, this is, your, this is where you're, you know, you can't go a day without water, can you? You can go three days without water and you're going to start dropping dead, but I can't basically go two or three hours without water. Uh, hey, you know, I drink a lot of water and you get thirsty. And the thirst means that we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God. And so a lot of times people think that they're, they're separated. And we, you know, I'll just use myself as an example. This is stuff the Lord's taught me. Be complaining, complaining, complaining. Oh, Lord, you know, and he's like, Kevin, I've given you a water. I've given you a well. Drop the bucket. You're complaining to me about something that I've already given you. Delegated power, de delegated authority. You have a well, Kevin. Drop the bucket in the well, get into the spirit, and you're going to see that there's water there for you. And lo and behold, there's always water there for me. That's what happens when we ask for the Holy Spirit. He comes immediately. And he's happy. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, right? Your joy comes into you. Part of that joy is for other people, but part of that joy is because he's stoked to be with you. Can you imagine that? He's so excited to be with you. You ask him, he comes immediately. Nobody loves you like Jesus, man. Nobody. He comes immediately. Does your wife come every time you call? My, husband, my wife doesn't come every time I call. And I'd like to go on record to say that I don't come every time she calls. She'd be like, did you hear me? And I'm like, yeah, but I was in the other room. She's like, but you didn't hear me. You didn't come when I called you. I'm like, I was doing something. <laughs> Holy Spirit's not like that. He comes immediately. 
he comes. So his first one is, is be thirsty. Second one is come unto me. The only qualification to come to Jesus other than, you know, to, to come, he doesn't qualify you any other way except are you thirsty? All can come. Are you thirsty? Come right now. You know, I, I'm already a Christian. Come to G. Come again. Go to the well. The well never runs dry. That fountain flows all the time. The only qualification, the qualification to come to Jesus is not a moral one. He doesn't say, hey, get your life together. Get all that immorality out of your life and then come to me. He doesn't qualify people like that. The church qualifies people like that, but the, Jesus doesn't. There's no moral qualification here except thirst. There's no religious qualification. You know, go through all of these steps and make sure that you get all these things right. Check all the boxes that the religion will tell you and then you can come to me. Make sure you're good. He doesn't say, get, get, give me a list of good works and then you can come to me. He doesn't say that at all. He just says, do you recognize your need? And come on down. Are you empty? Are you hurting? Are you alone? Are you fearful? Are you, are, you know, whatever it is. Are you weak? Are you confused? Are you uncertain? This, th that goes to the believer and the unbeliever. You have access to that, Christian. You don't have to stay in those states. You don't have to stay in these, anxiety, these states of anxiety and all these different things. You don't have to stay there. The only one who builds that camp is you. Yeah? The only one who has that pity. A lot of people don't come to your pity party. I don't know if you notice that or not. I sent out a lot of invitations to my pity parties, and I had very few responses. I'm having a pity party, guys. Come on. Oh, no. I'm having a pity party of my own. Everybody else was having their pity party. So. He says, I'll give you living waters. The Greek word zoe. It means life within life. The life that Jesus gives is zoe life is a life you can get nowhere else. You can't get this life anywhere else. You can't get it. And it's, you know, Greek is a language that tells the tale in the deepest way. It was one, it's probably Koine Greek, ancient Greek, is one of the most specific of all human languages. It's extremely specific. They have four words for love. We got one. I love ice cream, I love hot dogs, I love my wife, I love my car, you know. We got one word, I love you all, you know. We have one word, they have four. And so when it gives us this word zoe, it's a, it's a word that means life within life. It means animated life. Isn't that what we want? Don't you want animated life? Don't you want to feel alive? You know what I mean? Don't you want to feel vibrant? Life within life. It's in the spirit, man. It's with the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And he belongs to you. The world cannot have this. Only the Christian gets this. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The world doesn't get this. You get this. The bread is for who? All right. And are you in Christ? And you're sons and daughters of God. You are the children. The bread, the manna, the provision, the wine, the water, the whatever is all for you. All for you. I was thinking about this in the back. And um, I don't know, I've been just trying to remember things that I've been taught for whatever reasons. I don't even know. I'm not going to get into that. But... I've been trying to remember things that people have taught me over the years. And one of the mentors that I had, or a person that I really respected, he said, there's two things. He, they asked him, he said, what, what do you see um, with Christians and where do you see their lives are at? And he said, there's two things. Number one, uh, the, they don't know who they are. And number two, they leave their harvest in the field. And this is a man who would travel the world. And if I mentioned his name, the majority of you would know who he is. And um, uh, towards the end of his life, I was part of a, my, I, I don't know if Sherry was there. I can't remember if I was married or not, but um, I was in a little group with him and uh, they were interviewing him and just a small group of people. And he said, Christians don't know who they are and they leave their harvest in the field. And do you know what this church is built around? Your identity and your purpose. 
Do you know why? Because the Father wants you to know who you are, and he doesn't want you to leave your harvest in the field, right? He's got so much for you. He loves you. He's got so much. He's got life within life. He gives it to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, say it with me, gives me access to an immersive environment. Immersed. Come on, man. Immersive. Immersive. I go out. And I would go for walks or I'll listen, to G- I'll listen to worship or whatever. I start connecting with the Lord, walk, going for a walk around my neighborhood, and I feel like I'm on cloud nine. You know what I mean? I am immersed. You can have that immersion. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you're at. <laughs> this lady had a crazy dog. I laid my hands on the dog. She's like, would you, Pastor, would you pray for my dog? I start praying for my dog. The dog's looking at it, looking at me. Like I'm laying my hand on it, the dog's looking at me like, you know. She's like, hey, well, he won't bite. He's just really messed up. And I'm like, okay. And so I started praying for him. And I, laid, I have stories off that too. But I laid hands on the dog, and I was just going, oh, I'm just, well, I don't forget his name, uh, Fifi or Fufu or I don't know, some weird name. And so I'm laying my hands on the dog, and I just start releasing the anointing. I didn't even say anything. And as I'm laying there, and I just have my hand on the dog's head, and I'm just releasing the anointing, the dog lifts his head out of, like, its owner's shoulder and starts licking my hand. I'm like, oh, Fufu likes the anointing, huh? It's like it's that the dog experience of feeling the power, you know? The dog starts feeling the power, and they feel the resonance, you know? They feel the power of God moving into them, and they feel the love, and they start licking their hand. I'll give you a quick story. There's a dog. I have actually I have a picture of this dog. Um, one of the people here um, uh, is from Mexico, and her sister still lives in Mexico, and she found an abandoned dog on the road. This dog, she thought the dog was dead. It was covered with ants. And so her sister, being compassionate, saw that the dog was still alive. She took the dog home, cleaned the dog up, right? Can you imagine? I don't think I got that much compassion. I'd be like, I don't know, man. I'd probably call somebody, like, stretch your hands towards the pastor. Pray for his compassion. But anyway, she took the dog home. She cleaned the dog up. She fed the dog, got the dog back to health. And the dog, of course, is very loyal to her. And the dog would growl and be aggressive at everyone around him. And so she went down there to visit her sister, and the dog was really aggressive towards her husband, like, you know, like biting at him all the time. And so it's Selena. And so Selena laid her hands on the dog, and she tells me the story. And she said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just you ask you to restore this dog, this, this, this animal's identity as a dog. Right? And it was some prayer about, because the dog had been through trauma. So she started praying over the trauma of the animal, Right? You're like, you pray for animals? Yep. She did. She prayed for the dog and that the trauma of the dog would come off and that this dog's identity as a dog would be restored. And she sent me a picture of this dog. And this dog is like now the most loving thing in the world. He's like laying on a blanket and it almost looks like he's smiling. And he loves everybody now. There he is. There he is. That's him right there. Yeah. Told you I had a picture somewhere. Good job, Alex. High five on that. Yeah, see? His name, I don't know what his name is. I can't remember his name, but that's the dog. Crazy, right? Power of the Spirit. He comes give life within life, restoration. And if he can, listen, if Jesus can heal a dog, you don't think he can heal you? Really? Does that dog, you know what I mean? You know, it's like if his eyes are on the sparrow, he's not watching you. Fear not, little ones, you're worth more than many sparrows. Many sparrows. He'll take care of you. By this he meant by the Spirit of those who are about to receive him. So I'm going to share this with you. Right? And I'm going to close, right? I'm right there. I'm right in the pocket. I'm ready, happy. Oh, I still got seven minutes by Shelly's clock, but I'm going to clear it. I'm going to make that. It's not Shelly's clock. It's Elevate's clock. So anyway. John talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Probably 30% of the book of John is about the Holy Spirit. 
And so I try to think about this sometimes, and I, I look at the gospel writers and these people as being around Jesus, and, and the way that they wrote their gospels and kind of the angles that they wrote them from, like what, what, what they must have seen or understood. So you got Matthew, right? You see Matthew, Matthew's hanging out with Jesus, and to Matthew, everything was prophetic. Everything, everything Jesus did, Matthew's like, this is prophetic. This was done to fulfill this. Jesus is something else. This was prophetic. This was done to fulfill this. So there you got Matthew. Matthew's seeing everything that Jesus does as a fulfillment of prophecy. You got Mark, right? Mark, there are more healings and more deliverances in the book of Mark than any other one. Jesus, he, Mark's like, where are the sick people and the demons at? Let's go, you know? That's Mark. He's just dropping the hammer, man. Healing and power. Healing and deliverance. Mark. And you got Luke. Luke's like this. Luke, Luke's like the encounter guy. Luke's like, it was beautiful, man. There were angels and people were singing. It was beautiful. Prodigals came home. Samaritans were healing people. It's just beautiful, man. It's just beautiful. That's, that's Luke. John, because I think he talks so much about the Holy Spirit and he talks a lot about water. John's kind of like, you know, like, man, it was like, what's it like to be with Jesus, John? It's like, he was like, it's like just this flowing river of water, man. It's like it was just like water everywhere, water, you know. So John is just this guy who just connected and what he received from the Lord and what he got out of that encounter or that experience of being with God was this understanding of this connectedness. John speaks more about the Holy Spirit than anybody, anybody other than Paul, and he still beats Paul. I think Paul's got two or three chapters in the book of Corinthians, and John's probably got four at least in this gospel. So nobody spoke more about the Holy Spirit than John. He says, by this he meant of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is experiential. Say it with me. The Holy Spirit is experiential. In the Spirit, I can receive fire. I can receive power, strength, life. This is another aspect of him. It's neutral. Just say neutral, which is just a sense of peace and well-being, right? Faith, right, which is an enduring confidence. You just know this is going to work out. You don't know how. You don't know where. doesn't seem like it's going to work out. Everybody's telling you it's not going to work out, but you're just like, well, I just know this is going to work out. You receive faith. Freedom, right? Say with me, freedom, freedom, right? You're just free. You just feel free. It's like, I just feel like I want to dance. You know what I'm saying? I just feel like, you know, you feel freedom, right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, right? Flowing water. This is what John described. Flowing water, rivers of power, rivers of truth, and waves. It's one of the ways the Holy Spirit moves is in waves. I'm feeling a wave right now. You know, feeling waves. He moves in waves. So when you're experiencing the Holy Spirit, and some of you will because you're in this church, it's like you're going to worship and you'll start feeling a wave. Don't shy away from the wave. Surf the wave, man. Let the wave come over you. You know, waves. Just let this presence of God come into you. And once you understand his presence, then you, understand, then you begin to learn the person and you begin to learn the promises within the presence. Somebody needs to write that down. That was really good. So once you understand the presence, you learn the person, and then you understand the promises. But it begins by understanding the presence because you have to acclimate. Then you begin to understand who the person of the Holy Spirit is, right? You begin to understand his nature, his voice, his will, his ways. You begin to understand that. Then you begin to understand the promises. And there are promises 
that are accessible only in the Spirit. Yeah. They're in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places, the Bible says. You have an inheritance in Christ Jesus, in the heavenly places. All things that pertain to life and godliness are yours. Let's just say that. All things that pertain to life and godliness are mine. In the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? They're in the spirit, man. All things that pertain to life and godliness. And everybody wants to say, that's in the sweet by and by. No, it's in a rotten here and now. Everything that I need to live is in the spirit. Everything I need to follow the Lord is in the spirit. Therefore, what I need to live, I need to access through the Spirit. Therefore, what I need to follow the Lord and become who I'm supposed to be is in the Spirit. So if you get the emphasis. So here's the deal. The river is given to us. It's a fountain, the Holy Spirit. So there's three dimensions of the Holy Spirit. Say it with me. Parakletos. This is your, this is your inheritance. This is who the Holy Spirit is. He's three-dimensional. He's parakletos, which means he's with you. What does that mean? He's around you. You. Me, the believer, right? He's working, doing what? Working all things out to your good. He's working circumstantially. That's one of the aspects. He's in you. Greek word en, E-N. Holy Spirit is in you. This is, the, this is the fountain. When you open up the fountain and you allow the Holy Spirit to flow, he comes on you. Epi. That's that resonance of power. You know what I'm talking about? That's that shift. So that's his dimensions. And we're to take that, we're to learn that we're to let that river begin to not just flow into the areas of our life. We're to begin to let that river flow into the world around us. We're given the Spirit of God, and we're given the anointing to be witnesses. So I want to make a challenge for you, and then we're going to do communion. Say it with me. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. So Easter slash Resurrection Sunday is coming up. I got asked why we call it Easter. Well, because that's what the culture knows. Of course, we know it's Resurrection Sunday. But the unbeliever doesn't know. We're called to reach the lost. Are we not? Right? And go, go up to one of your lost friends and say, hey, would you like to come to church with me on Resurrection Sunday? They'd be like, what? What's that? You know? Hey, come to church on Easter. Oh, yeah, Easter. Yeah, right. I got it. You know? They understand that. We have to speak the language of what people understand. We have a challenge. So Easter is coming up in one, two, three weeks. So we have the leadership teams and the life group teams are forming teams and on that team, the winning team that invites the most people to church at Easter gets to go to lunch with Sherry and I. And what I want you to do is I want you to join a team. I want you to invite 10 people. <gasps> if you invite 10 people, you've done more evangelism than most Christians will do in a lifetime. The odds are 10 to 1. So the ratio, that's why a lot of people get discouraged with evangelism. They invite one person and they don't come. Or they reach out to one person. or whatever, However, you know, this is an invite, right? So this is called moving on mission. This is part of the culture of this church. And we do things that cause you to move on mission. Jesus wants you to move with his mission and reach the lost. And not everybody's Billy Graham, but you all are Andrew. Not everybody's a preacher, but you're all an inviter. Anyone can invite Andrew, that's all he did was invite. That's all he did. Bring in people to Jesus. That's all he did was invite. He, you don't see, Andrew didn't preach a sermon. Andrew didn't teach a class. But he brought people to Jesus. He invited people, right? And so you can do that. Say this, I can do this. Say, I don't have it in me. I just told you about the Holy Spirit, all right? So you can do this. So we want you, we want you to join a team. Um, if you sign up for the team, you're going to get assigned to a team. 
Shelly takes cash app. I'm sure you could bribe her in getting on the right team. She could help you out with that. You're like, what? Our leaders are running teams. So you're going to get on a team. We want these teams to work together, right? Teamwork makes the dream work. We want the teams. You can name your team. You know, I don't know. Name it. You can strategize with your team. But we want each team to be uh, no more than 10 people. And if 10 people times 10, that's 100 people. So the odds are, if you invite 10 people, one's going to respond. That's just statistically, that's a statistical average. So you say, I invited 10 and they didn't come. We'll invite 20 and you'll get two. That average will play itself out for sure. So the idea is to invite 100 people. Why are we doing that? Because people need Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. And the number one day when people are willing to come to church, right? So let me just blast some of your theories. People say, well, we should go out and street evangelize. Yeah, but that's not everybody. People come to Christ on the arms of a loving friend. That's the truth. And the church gives birth to more sons and daughters than any individual does on the street. This is a network. You go out by yourself, you're fishing with a pole. You work with a group, you work with a team, you work with a church, you're fishing with a net. Big deal, right? Jesus wants us to reach people. Go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. It's a command. It's, that's an emphatic imperative, which means he's not asking you. He's commanding you. Go and do what I said. Don't bury it. Don't be embarrassed. Oh, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Are you embarrassed about Jesus? Really? You need to smack yourself around a little bit. If you're embarrassed about Jesus, come on. Really? You need to grab yourself and shake yourself and tell yourself to get over it. Anyone can invite. What are you looking for? Were you looking working as teams? And there are people in your life that have stress, right? So it looks like this. I'm going to be quick, right? Looks like, looks like tragedy, trial, and transition. What's tragedy? These are, these are people who are thirsty. Tragedy is basically hurting people, right? Their boyfriend just broke up with him. Their girlfriend just broke up with him. They need Jesus. Say, that seems so petty. Really? Let your heart get put in a blender and somebody hit frappe and see how you do. That doesn't work very well, right? So you're looking for the hurting people. There are people that are hurting. They've experienced the loss. They've experienced pain. Those people are open. Doesn't mean they're not, they're totally going to respond, but they're open. People that are under trial or stress, people that are heavily stressed out, they have circumstances that they can't deal with and they can't control and everything just feels the pressure's on and they don't know what to do. Jesus does. Transition, which is people that are searching, people that are new to the area, people that are new to the, the, to the people around you. You're the only Jesus most people will ever encounter. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah. You're the only one. And so you need to be willing to reach. I told first service, if you go to Starbucks every day, just throw a card in the Starbucks window every day. You're, you know. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. I was going to say something, but I will not. You know, invite people. Find your groups. Invite people. Do whatever you got to do. Are you down for this? You guys are staring at me like, I don't know. This is taking me out of my comfort zone. Exactly. Out of your comfort zone. What do you do? You pray, right? You're going to pray. When you pray, you're gonna, you're, God's going to show you. Who do I invite? Believe me, if you start asking the Lord who you're supposed to invite, and you say, okay, in the next three weeks, I need to invite, three, I need to invite 10 people. That's three people a week. I think you can handle that, right? I'd like to invite you to Easter service. I'd like to invite you to Easter service. I, I don't know. Who are your friends? Here's what it is. Say, pray with them. Or pray, no, pray for them. Rule two, pick them up. Right. Don't leave them hanging. Offer to pick them up. Carpool them, right? Go pick them up. Don't leave people with excuses. So you're going to pray. God's going to show you. You're going to say, hey, do you need a ride? I'll come get you. 
I got you. I'm going to come get you. So pick them up. And then the third thing is, ready? Pay for their lunch. Nobody's going to answer me on that one. Pay for their lunch. Take them to lunch. This is how you win friends and influence people for Jesus. You're going to pray. God's going to show you. You're going to say, boom, I'm, you know, hey, I'll come get you. I'll pick you up, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you're going to bring them, right? You're going, to, you're going to pick them up, and then you're going to take them out to lunch afterwards. Some of your friends will come to lunch, will come just because you've never taken them, or you never bought anything for them. They're going to look at you and go, you're going to take me to lunch? Well, I think I'm going to go just so you can pay for my lunch, you know? Fish and chips, whatever it takes. You understand? Jesus wants people to know him. He wants people to come to him. And so what we're doing on Easter, say it with me, ready? Supernatural Sunday. Yeah. We're doing experience the power of the resurrection. So we're not going to teach the re- I'm going to teach a small part of the resurrection. And we've got the ministry team, and we're going to do supernatural ministry. We're going to pray for people. We're going to lay hands on people. We're going to give prophetic word. We're going to demonstrate the power of the resurrection. <gasps> you should be excited about that, people. Yeah. So we want to do an Easter like no other, right? We're doing power. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will give life and animate your mortal bodies. So we're working it out, but that's our pitch. Um, You know, we're going to have flyers next week. Flyers will be picked up tomorrow. We'll have flyers. Everybody say with me. Sign up up. for a team. team. Yes. Say, it's not my thing, thing. but it's Jesus' thing. So I'm going to do it. There you go. No, say with me. No excuses. Don't punk out. Right. No punking out. Go big. Go home. Whatever. We're going to go big. Okay? So I want to challenge you with that. Go to the highways. And so right now we're going to make a quick transition. We're going to do communion. So do we have music? And Jody's gone. Yeah, so they're going to play some music, and what I want you to do, if you would please, is make your way up and around and grab um, a element, grab one of the communion elements. Thank you so much, Greg. And then uh, bring it back to your seat with you, and we'll take it together. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. Here's joy. Someone would ask Jesus, how much do you love me? He said this.